0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Phil Strazula about helping to advance the people functions within your organization through knowledge sharing and community building. Phil Strazula, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited for the conversation.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to. You're joining us from Boston. I'm here in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about helping to advance the people functions in your organization through knowledge sharing, and community building. As we get started, I wanted to share Phil's bio with everybody. Phil Strazula is an entrepreneur focused on building the people, HR, and recruiting functions in organizations. He is the founder of Next Wave Hire, along with a new side project, Select Software Reviews. Before that, he was a student at the Harvard Business School and previously worked as a venture capital investor at Bessemer Venture Partners. Wonderful to have you. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background before we really launch on in?
1: I think that's pretty comprehensive. You know, I spend my days sort of understanding what is going on in the HR tech industry because it's so complicated and so diverse and 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 really uh, large as well. And then I like to share what I learned on my blog, Select Software Reviews, so that companies trying to figure out, you know, what's the best payroll vendor for trucking companies, or how do I leverage AI to recruit diverse engineering talent for fortune 500? They can go on our site, check it out, and hopefully get some good advice.
0: Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And I think we definitely need more of, of that knowledge sharing out there, which uh, of course is a, a big focus of what you're, you're up to. And the HR tech space, like you said, it's very, complex. Uh, it's rapidly changing. There's constantly new entrants um, in the HR tech space in terms of um, uh, the tech, the advancements of the disruptive technologies, but also the companies offering new new services and leveraging the technologies in new ways. Um, so it's, it's just really exciting. And it's a lot to comprehend, especially for people who may have been in the HR arena. Perhaps they found themselves in HR, not because of the the HR tech, the HR analytics, the HRIS, but more because of the, the people side of things, which is a draw for, and, and traditionally has been a draw for a lot of people in the HR world. Um, you know, navigating this whole HR tech space and disruptive uh, innovations uh, can be really daunting uh, to many. Um, maybe you can share a little bit more uh, with listeners by way of background in terms of how you got into this space uh, and why this, this has become your focus.
1: Yeah, sure. So my personal story is I've always been sort of like a business person. I've always been interested in business stuff. I started trading stocks when I was 12, you know, had my own business, blah, 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 all that stuff. Studied finance in college. And for me, I, I wanted to get experience in the entrepreneurial community. So I started working at this venture capital firm, which was an amazing sort of trial by fire And after a couple of years, I was like, you know what? I I wanna start my own business. And so I went to business school and taught myself how to program and started just kind of working on stuff. And I think I have sort of a latent interest in what people do all day long at work because it's such like an important part of our lives. And so a lot of the projects that I was working on were sort of like around this HR space, which I knew absolutely nothing about. And something sort of morphed into a business there And over the course of five years growing that business, I sort of just learned a lot about HR. I went to all the conferences, talked to thousands of HR professionals, as well as sort of the thought leaders and the VCs and the entrepreneurs, et cetera. And so I was sort of immersed in this world. And as I was coming out of that first business, I just sort of saw this problem where it's really hard to select tools. To your point, a lot of folks who get into human resources they're interested in the people side. They're interested, honestly, for the reasons that I was originally interested, which is, you know, how do you grow an organization? How do you get somebody in the right job? How do you nurture them, et cetera. And a lot of times that's just like a different brain than how do I create a business case that some cold-hearted capitalist CFO will appreciate when I want to buy a new ATS. And in my opinion, there are really great ways of, of, of building those business cases for that, like, you know, bloodthirsty, <laughs> cold hearted uh, CFO. But it, but it is really hard, I think, for a lot of folks who just like haven't thought about that way for most of their careers. And so that's one thing we try to educate people on uh, on the website. But I also think that some of the, the people that I really look up to in the people function, they've allied with folks internally at their company that maybe have an MBA, maybe were an investor, etc. And they can think about stuff in terms of a spreadsheet. And if you combine those two brains, the the very human person and the spreadsheet brain, you get amazing results.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, I talk a lot on this podcast about both the human case for why we would choose to do things and with the motivation for for action and Policies, practices, procedures, culture, norms, you know, within an organization, uh, but also the business case. And so the two go hand in hand. And to your point, you know, oftentimes, uh, HR people, uh, you know, they focus perhaps more on the, the people, the human case, the people case, uh, as opposed to the, the business case, and you really need both. Uh, and if you want your projects and initiatives to be to get off the ground and to be sustainable, you really have to think through the business case and then learn how to communicate that effectively to key stakeholders uh, in the organization, outside the organization, so that you can you know, bring it to fruition. Otherwise, a lot of the initiatives, a lot of the people-centered uh, organizational initiatives that you you have in mind, they, they just won't get off the ground. They, they won't ever really make it out of your little conference room where you're hatching these ideas with your team. Um, so maybe, can you speak a little bit more to that about how you know how uh, we might start that process of building a business case uh, around, you know, say some new HR tech that we want to uh, bring in and, and tap into uh, to enhance our our people centered kind of philosophy within our organization.
1: Yeah, I, I think to make it concrete, a great example is a career website. I think a lot of HR and recruiting teams are like, "Hey, our career website's terrible." They knew it. They know it intuitively, and they want to showcase culture. They want to have a page for What's it like to be a woman executive at our company? What's it like to be in the New York office? What's it like to be et cetera, videos and you know all this really awesome stuff. And that at a human level creates a better candidate experience, probably attracts people to your business, maybe even attracts customers. There's some studies around that. But if you just think about it in terms of that, like really pretty website aspect of things, it's gonna be really challenging to get budget for that because nobody wants to invest in a pretty website. They want to invest in something that adds value to your organization and so the human brain comes up with this idea and then i think you need to partner with somebody who probably can't come up with an idea like that but has that spreadsheet brain is like well you know intuitively what what's the value going to be well it's going to convince more people to apply for a company and therefore the way i would think about a business case is you know we get ten thousand people a month to go to our current terrible career website and only 3% of them convert into our ATS as applicants. And that kind of flows through to you know whatever hires. If we had a better career website, just like when we increased the conversion rate on our commercial website, we're going to increase the conversion rate from 3% to 8%. And that's going to lead to X number of incremental hires, which is going to decrease our overall cost per hire. Maybe it's going to decrease our time to fill. Both of those are really easy to calculate a dollar and cents ROI from. And so I think that well, that second part of the equation may not be as intuitive to many folks in the HR arena. You know, that's why in like marketing, you have different types of brains on your marketing team. You've got the analysts, you've got the creative person, you've got somebody who's, at, who's good at video. And none of those people could really do each other's jobs. And for HR teams that are big enough, you've got HR business partners, you've got people data analysts, you've got all these other sorts of brains on the team I allow you to leverage data and the human side of things. But if you're at a mid-market firm or if you're at a company that just hasn't really evolved, then I would suggest if you don't have that HR business partner, you know, find that other person in the organization to help you think through, hey, here's this initiative. I know we need to do it at a gut level. Can you help me sort of rationalize it so that I can go get budget and that six months after we implement, I can go back and say, how successful were we or not? Because I'm going to look at, did our conversion rate go to 8%? 11%, 11%, how did that affect down funnel metrics? And therefore, how do I take that and evangelize it internally and say, hey, we did a great job. We got this human element, we got the business element, you should give us more resources for the next thing we want to do, which is employee recognition or onboarding or, you know, whatever the case may be.
0: Yeah, and being able to show that ROI is, is just super important. Um, and, and really thinking through all of the metrics involved. And that's something I think a good critique of HR as, um, as a, a discipline, as a, as a functional area of the organization is that, historically, traditionally, we haven't been great at uh, figuring out what those metrics are and then communicating. How we're we're uh, accomplishing things related to those metrics. So we have to be very thoughtful. ROI, of course, is an obvious one. It's probably one of the most impactful ones. But we have to be able to show a range of of valid, important metrics that that uh, your your executive team is is going to appreciate and look at and and say, yeah, this this makes sense. Uh, go, it takes HR from being kind of this this sinkhole of like this cost center to actually being something that's that's uh, generating efficiencies and uh, and increasing uh, you know both the on the internal side the employer the employee experience so employer or employee uh, retention and engagement and innovation those sorts of things and on the external side. You know, a positive customer experience, more brand and customer loyalty and commitment. Uh, you know, which of course leads to increased sales and such. And so, all of that we have to f- figure out a better way to to track, to assess, to track over time, and then communicate all of those results back uh, to key stakeholders within our team, within the organization, uh, etc.
1: Yeah, and, and to that point, I think. That's actually a really good framework for how to think about where to focus. A lot of people ask me, you know, there's so many different parts of the employee experience from employer branding through alumni that I can focus on from a tools perspective. How do I know where to actually spend my time? And one of the things I always suggest is go meet with those business leaders who are heading up other parts of your organization, the board, the C-level, and try to understand what are their biggest problems and where could people make an impact in a way that translates to ROI. And, and that's probably where you want to focus because if you can solve a ret- attrition problem for entry-level salespeople or you know whatever the case may be with better onboarding or better recruiting or whatever the case may be, then you're going to have a strong ally for the next thing that you feel passionate about when you go to get budget and internal buy-in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's talk a little bit more then about the knowledge sharing and community building around um, th- this domain space of, of people, HR recruiting, all the HR functions. I know you do a lot of, of this work uh, with, with select software reviews and your blog and, and some of those sorts of things. Why is that something you're passionate about and how, how do we start to move the needle in terms of generating this kind of knowledge sharing community space? and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations.
1: So I think that there are so many nuggets in people's heads that they've figured out. And Every single person in the HR world has figured out something very unique through just being in the trenches. And it could be how to deal with a specific type of employee relations problem, how to get a significant discount on your ATS, like whatever the case may be. And the only way that we all get better is by sharing that information. And so I try to be sort of a node where I have conversations with lots of people. I have my own little community and the the best sort of nuggets I try to put out there in our newsletter on LinkedIn, et cetera, to just get awareness of it. Because I've seen the power, I think, of this most poignantly in Silicon Valley where I I worked for a short amount of time. And the, the reason that there's so many innovative companies coming out of Silicon Valley is because there's all these people who have figured out different parts of different problems that get together on a regular basis and they share knowledge very willingly. And it almost doesn't even matter if somebody's a competitor to you. If you go get lunch with somebody, they're gonna be like, here's the project I just worked on for seven months. And like, here's how we did it. And here's the most impactful thing. And everybody's very passionate about this knowledge sharing because they know that they're gonna make that person better and they're gonna share something back with you. And you're all going to be able to win in the global landscape. And, and that's exactly what happens. Like there's a, an enormous amount of innovation even still coming out of Silicon Valley relative to the rest of the world. Like it's insane. And so I, I think I've just seen the power of that ethos and I see in the HR space, how we have all these learnings, we need to aggregate and uh, distribute them more effectively.
0: Yeah, I really like that. And, and I like the kind of the unselfishness of, of that kind of an approach, um, recognizing that when we all collaborate and work together, it's gonna make us all stronger. It's gonna make us all better. We're going to, to be better Um, equipped and capable to deal with the challenges that we face. We're going to be able to to be more creative and to innovate. Uh, And so it's a problem. I mean, it's not just a problem between competitors, right? Where you try to hoard information and you think that if you, if you hoard um, kind of your own secret sauce of, of doing this, this uh, people function this way or whatever, that that's going to um, help you stand out. Um, but it happens in, within organizations all the time, too. You have lots of hoarding of, of knowledge. People do that as a power play to, to make themselves relevant and to you know kind of become this, uh, force people to go through them for access to certain things. Um, and all of that really diminishes our ability to just I mean, it, it certainly shuts down the free flow of information that, that, in, that enhances our, our opportunity for collaboration and innovation. And so when we hoard information, we don't share it. Um, we certainly don't have a learning organization at that point. And we're really going to be undermining our own best efforts uh, to, to move the needle and, and to really make a positive impact with, you know, with our products and services, add value to the marketplace. Um, But to, you know, to have a more positive employee experience, like maybe is our goal, uh, or whatever, whatever that, that uh, objective is, we're going to ultimately limit that. Um, So I'm also just a big, a big believer in, in knowledge sharing, creating a knowledge sharing and learning organizational culture. Uh, And ultimately, I think it's all about community. I think we are, we are human animals that, that are social animals that need and desire community. Uh, and if we want an effective organization, we need to um, build various communities throughout our organization where it's you know healthy and safe, psychologically safe, where people um can feel that they are included and belong in meaningful uh and genuine ways. And and so Creating these knowledge sharing communities seems like a natural fit, uh, and really the next step that I think a lot of organizations need to to try to do in order to push things forward in terms of their innovative culture within the organization. Any thoughts on how we might go about starting to do that if we're in an organization where people are hoarding information and trying to, you know, pivot uh, or or uh, trying trying to assert themselves? Um, you know, through the knowledge that they have. And so they're not open in, in allowing for free flow of information.
1: So there's this really amazing book called Influence by this guy, Kialdini. He's a psychologist and he wrote this book that is so good that Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett sent him an email, or I'm sorry, a letter and gave him Berkshire Hathaway stock. They've never met the guy, but they were like, your book is so good. It's influenced our investment philosophy so much we're just going to give you Berkshire stock which is kind of crazy and if you read the book you're like yeah it it actually is this this good and the second chapter is about reciprocity and so you sort of mentioned the you know anthropologic or like evolutionary reasons like why we do stuff right we're all these like humans that like evolved and tribes etc and so there's this really strong instinct if somebody gives you something to give you give them something back because that's how tribes work and if that wasn't the case. Then people wouldn't collaborate, and we wouldn't have you know figured out agriculture and built civilization. And that's why when you go to the supermarket, they give you a sample. Like, how many times have you bought something like you don't actually want because they give you a sample? Or you go to a car dealership, like they're going to give you some coffee and water. And if you go to a fancy restaurant, they're going to give you like some you know appetizer that costs like a dollar, so that you spend an extra fifty bucks or whatever, right? There and there's lots of like research that shows that. If the waiter gives you the bill with a mint, your tip will increase like 10%, which is crazy because the mint is like a cent. Um, and, and so, like, I think it, it's it's actually really cool that this research. And it's like it, it's mind-boggling uh what people will do when, when given, uh, and if you think about your own life, you might you know find yourself being a little depressed <laughs> about decisions you made. But the nice thing is with, with these things is you can sort of kick off like a viral loop where if you go to lunch with your head of sales, and you start talking about the stuff that you've learned, they're going to start talking about the stuff that they've learned. Or if you go to lunch with the head of HR from the company down the street, and you start saying, hey, like, here's what we struggled with, here's what we did, here's what we learned, they're going to want to, they're going to feel a very strong innate desire to give you something back. And so all of a sudden, like, you've got this two way street that sort of kicked off and this norm has been established between the two of you. And it's not too hard to get this thing to start going to other nodes uh, within your network. And so if I was an individual and I was in an organization or geography where this really wasn't happening, I would start this off by taking advantage of this reciprocity bias that we all have, setting that normative behavior and hopefully trying to scale it. Maybe it's not just one-on-one lunch, maybe it's some sort of meeting. Maybe it's a monthly speed dating where it's like, Hey, I'm going to share information. You're going to share information. And that could be within your company, or it could be within a broader group that maybe are in the same functional areas you are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And it reminds me of a, a Ted talk. I can't recall, uh, the presenter's name, but essentially she described, uh, her experience in a finance company and, you know, going in as a new entry level person and, uh, and just being so isolated. Everyone was in their silos and nobody interacted really. They just kind of showed up to work, did their stuff. And you never really saw anyone outside your small little team. And, and she felt lonely. Like she just felt lonely um, as this new person in this organization. And so she decided one day that she was just going to, every day for lunch, she was going to go to a different floor and a different team and just say, Hey, can I have lunch with you? <laughs> that's all she did. And then she started having conversations with everyone. And all of a sudden she's like, she gets to know everyone in the company. She's like having lunch with executives. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just that the networking piece of course was powerful, but all of a sudden it, it started to shift the culture in the company. Cause now other people are like seeing how much it's benefiting her. Um, that she's doing this practice. so other people are starting to do it. And now all of a sudden, there there's just this organic sharing that's occurring in this interconnectedness and the silos are breaking down, all just because of someone being willing to get out of their comfort zone and just sit, go up to a group of people they don't know and say, "Hey, I'm so and so down on this floor. This is what I do. Can I have lunch with you today? And then boom, all of a sudden, you know, within a year, um, there's this massive transformation, so I think this can happen organically. Uh, it can happen more in a structural way. I mean, if you want as a leader, if you want to be thoughtful about how can you promote these types of behaviors, um, there are ways you can incentivize it. There are ways you can encourage it, um, but also just lead through example and just demonstrate to your team like this is what we do in our team. This is this is how much I value. Um, knowledge sharing, how much community building is important to us. This is going to have these kind of outcomes for us. And so um, you, you you start to to model that and demonstrate that, and it can it make a big, big difference for people.
1: Yeah, I love it because you're gonna have lunch anyways. So you can like go on Facebook or you can go and meet somebody and learn something. And the cool thing is you might be shy about it. Like there are geographies and companies and functional areas that like, this is really common, but if you're in the legal profession, because I was having this conversation with somebody legal profession last week, it's not common whatsoever. It's kind of weird and you got to kind of push yourself outside your comfort zone, but you're not trying to sell somebody something like you're literally just like, Hey, I want to share what I've learned and want to learn what you've learned. And after you have two or three of these conversations, you have a huge knowledge graph of stuff that you can share with people. And so you shouldn't feel shy about reaching out to people because you're going to provide so much value to them. And you're doing it in a very genuine, transparent way. You're not like, Hey, I want to take you out to lunch to chat. And then it's like, and buy these like Tupperware set or something. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're genuinely just like, Giving them something and, and hoping to also receive something and build that that network, which is super invaluable. So I, I think that's that's really cool.
0: Yeah. Well, Phil, it has been a real pleasure. I, I note the time; we're getting close to the end of our time together. Um, I appreciate all of your insights and perspectives that you've provided, and I agree. I think this is just so important for organizations. Before we wrap up, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today
1: sure so if you want to connect with me on linkedin phil Strazula, two z's two l's you can also check out our website selectsoftwareviews.com if you have hr tech questions or if you have incurable insomnia and want something to put you to sleep i think the the final word is that we need more of this knowledge sharing in the hr community the rising tide lifts all boats all those clichés like it's it's something that if you look at marketing you look at product engineering sales like this is something that's propelled those functional areas to evolve extremely quickly especially as new technologies techniques strategies come out and they're quickly disseminated it's not really happening in the hr universe at this point and so it's incumbent upon leaders to, to do it in your company, in your geography, in your, ne- in your you know, professional group, whatever the case may be. And I think we'll all be better off for it.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Well said. Phil, it has been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Phil and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.